Welcome to Rough Magic Performance Company's podcast, where women's stories take center stage. Season two, The Parker Project. The Parker Project is made possible in part by our donors and by the generosity of inclusion and action, an organization dedicated to creating space for people to explore what it takes to advance equity together in our workspaces, neighborhoods, and communities. Leveraging the powers of personal story, the arts, media, movement, and humor to engage individuals in head and heart connections that promote deeper understanding of self and others. The Parker Project is also made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Hi, I'm Catherine Justice, and I'm one of the co-artistic directors for Rough Magic Performance Company, and in the Parker Project, I was one of the writers and an actor. Hi, I'm Elaine Hopkins. I am the other co-artistic director of Rough Magic Performance Company, and for the Parker Project, I was an actor. And I'm Taj Ruler, and for the Parker Project, I was the sound design and engineer and also one of the actors. Well, thanks so much, Taj, for taking some time to chat with us again. It's so great to have you as our sound designer from season one to season two. I don't know if you want to chat a little bit about your process, about what the sound, what your thoughts were for the sound for this um, season and how things were different from last season. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me again. What a treat and a joy and an honor. I would say that this season was very different than last season in the sense that in the first season there was so much soundscaping. I think the pieces in general, you know, going from something with Shakespeare and not making so much sound, I didn't want to take away from the performances and really more about enhancing it. And this time, George also encouraged me and us to use those kind of like Foley sound effects. So I don't know if you remember in season one with the infamous footsteps that were so not good. (laughs) Oh, we remember the footsteps, Taj. Yeah. Who could forget the footsteps that were not in place with that world, right? But with this world, I was able to put some footsteps into the piece And because it was that kind of Foley sound is what we were going for, it fit really well with the piece. Yeah, I love what you did with that, where it, it, especially in the first episode, but I think you hear it in the second episode too, this idea of it being a radio play and kind of tying back to sort of old time radio plays where the sound effects were like, you can imagine like the horse hooves with the two coconuts and like all of the, like the different things that made the sound effects that you can almost hear like that world in the sound for this one. And I love that it carries over into the second episode, which is of course modern, but yet even like the doorbell, there's just something kind of like, that sounds like you're in a old time radio play with it, that you're in some sort of like live audience where you can see the person with all of their like different objects making the sounds kind of um, fun world. And that was honestly my goal and hope when I was doing episode one and episode two. I wanted to really carry that radio play feel into the modern day episode. Uh, One, because I love a good callback and I love to be able to hear a sound that was in something previous uh, as an echo. So I used pretty much not all of the same cute like sound effects, but like when people were getting out of their chairs or when they were walking Um, I tried to, and I did do a lot of Foley for this episode because of it. I wanted to really try to do Foley sound, which was a a new challenge for me too. In the part of the second episode where the plate, she throws the phone 
in the plate and the soup. I, I just squished I squished an orange to make that like soup sound <laughs> and I threw a fork on a plate to like have that kind of like breaking ish sound. Um, so that was really fun to kind of like do in the wild. Uh, I, I don't know if that's going to necessarily be my forte, but I really <laughs> I liked being able to experiment and try that. That's fantastic. Were there any like objects that you found that like didn't work or what's the weirdest thing that you used to make a sound effect in this? Uh... The, probably the, the orange was definitely the weirdest one for me. Because uh, <laughs> I didn't like every time I like even looked for things online or like tried to create Oh, and I did the slurping noises, so, like, that was fun. They but, were very nicely done. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. But um, what, what was I saying? Yeah, like, the orange was the weirdest one because I was like, well, this orange is going to go bad. And so I basically, like, squished it close to the mic and had it, like, drip it into a bowl. Um, so it was it was gross. I will say I was like, it better work. <laughs> it better work this one time. <laughs> Because I don't know if it's going to happen again. So, But luckily, I think I think it worked out well. And I think the addition of the plate clang kind of added to it. So, mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah. yeah, I definitely agree because there's something, the word that pops into my head is exaggerated, which is not quite fair to Dorothy Parker or to Ashanti and Catherine. But there's something about the language that is so stylistic even in the second modern one, that that all of the sound effects punctuate it so perfectly. It really, it it really all makes sense in this world. So, good. Yeah, that is what I was hoping for. <laughs> There's a fun thing with the sound too that I was really intrigued by in this season, which was like, when does the like when we're hearing the story unfold? Sometimes you hear a line that you feel like on this line, this action should happen. But yet the narrator maybe tells you what the action was or the sound effect tells you what the action was. But sometimes it's better to hear it like the action first, either from the narrator or the sound, and then hear the actor actually do it. And then sometimes it was better in the opposite order to hear the actor say the line and then hear the sound effect or then hear the narrator commenting on it. And it was like a weird like storytelling and sort of joke timing thing that some of them like I think we had to hear it too because I know there were some of those lines that we switched around after we um, after we had already recorded it that timing wise it just worked better one way or the other um, and that was another fun sound thing for me that really came out of this of like just that comedic timing of like when what order do things come in mm-hmm. and you don't really notice it when we were doing the read through of it it is something that that you really have to wait until you're listening to it afterwards again so and it was fun to try to create that timing as somebody who is such a fan of comedy the performances that people were bringing were already bringing so much comedy and so to be able to utilize like the slurping sounds for like or the silence or like just hearing a cough to accentuate the already good timing that people were bringing for the read was really fun to be able to play with. This whole project was just so just what I needed right now. Like I think like this pandemic is getting so long and there's just so much intensity in the world right now that to be able to just like retreat to my closet and like say these like just mean cutting like horrible words horribly wonderful words and I mean that's we were talking about this before what I I like so much about Dorothy Parker is the joy of being just mean and I know we said this right before we got on mic but I really don't think it's mean I think it's just honesty and I really love that about her she's just so blunt 
And I think, you know, I feel like there's so many themes about like what society expects of women. And, in, you know, I feel like they really come out in this in both of the episodes that we recorded. So I don't know. I, I yes, it's mean, but also like, is it mean or is she just like speaking what we're all thinking? Exactly. It's that what's really going on in your head versus what you are saying out loud, what you're able to say out loud and still keep your kind of position or role, that kind of honesty, blunt honesty that we we don't get to use all that often. And Dorothy Parker kind of gives us permission to do that, or you have to whenever you're speaking her words. And maybe this is just my like, white female Midwestern nature coming out that that to me seems mean when <laughs> when it, it, you're right, it is just being she's just being honest. I on one level, I call it mean. And on the other level, I say I love it. Like, I like, I have this like push pull of like, oh, that's mean. Like, you can't say that. You can't do that. In another hand of like, oh, I want to say that so bad. Like, that's so fun. She inspires me. I like really I strive to be that honest. Sometimes I can be blunt, but then follow it up with, but only if you can, like if it's not too much of a burden on you, you know, you know, like very also Midwestern, just being like, I've stated my piece. If it's okay with you, is that okay? I'm sorry. And I, I want to remove that addendum at the end. Nice. I like that. We can just move forward with Dorothy Parker as our inspiration for us in our, in our (laughs) twenties as we're the 2020s now. Thank you again so very much, Taj, for working with us on the Parker Project. It was really a joy. You're the best, Taj. Thank you. Oh my gosh. It is my honor and it is a joy and a privilege. Thank you again. Can't wait for season three. Ah, Yay! (laughs) Hey everybody, Eric Sharp here. I played the Weldons in the Parker Project. And I'm just so happy and grateful to Rough Magic for having me because it's let me kind of dig into the poetry of Dorothy Parker, whom I wasn't familiar with, I'm ashamed to say, but have just loved getting to know her work a little bit more and work with such a great team and and bringing some of her work and work inspired by her work to life. Quick poem for you. This is called Rainy Night. Ghosts of all my lovely sins who attend too well my pillow. Gay, the wanton rain begins, hide the limp and tearful willow. Turn aside your eyes and ears, trail away your robes of sorrow. You shall have my further years, you shall walk with me tomorrow. I am sister to the rain, fay and sudden and unholy, petulant at the windowpane, quickly lost, remembered slowly. I have lived with shades, a shade I am hung with graveyard flowers. Let me be tonight arrayed in the silver of the showers. Every fragile thing shall rust when another April passes. I may be a furry dust sifting through the brittle grasses. All sweet sins shall be forgot. Who will live to tell their siring? Hear me now, nor let me rot. Wistful still and still aspiring. Ghosts of dear temptations, heed. I am frail, be you forgiving. See you not that I have need to be living with the living? 
sail tonight the Styx's breast, glide among the dim processions of the exquisite unblessed, spirits of my shared transgressions. Roam with young Persephone, plucking poppies for your slumber. With the morrow there shall be one more wraith among your number. I just picked this poem because we're getting to spring, and it's just been such a tough year, and so many things have happened and not happened. And I, for one, am just really looking forward to some hard spring rains to kind of wash away some of that pain and hopefully make room for some new things. Thanks. A Certain Lady by Dorothy Parker, read by Elaine Hopkins. Oh, I can smile for you and tilt my head and drink your rushing words with eager lips and paint my mouth for you a fragrant red and trace your brows with tutored fingertips. When you rehearse your list of loves to me, oh, I can laugh and marvel rapturous-eyed. And you laugh back, nor can you ever see the thousand little deaths my heart has died. And you believe so well I know my part that I am gay as morning, light as snow, and all the straining things within my heart you'll never know. Oh, I can laugh and listen when we meet, and you bring tales of fresh adventurings, of ladies delicately indiscreet, of lingering hands and gently whispered things. And you are pleased with me, and strive anew to sing me sagas of your late delights. Thus do you want me, marveling, gay, and true, nor do you see my staring eyes of nights. And when, in search of novelty, you stray, oh, I can kiss you blithely as you go. And what goes on, my love, while you're away? You'll never know. One of the reasons I appreciate this poem is that, like many of Parker's other works, there is a kind of public face and a private face, and the poem explores the tension between the two of those And it can also be, I think, pretty poignant and sad, but she really possibly turns it around there at the end. And so you're left wondering, is it just the sadness and the inner life that this lover never sees, or is there something else going on entirely? This is George Keller, director of the Dorothy Parker Project, and I chose the poem Balto the lead dog of the team that brought antitoxin to Nome, by Dorothy Parker, 1925. I think that you could only pity me, who'd want to weep and stroke your head and coo, and murmur little names mellifluously, and know no other thing to do. What should I do but drop my eyes and strain to cloak the meanness of my offerings? Who, when aggrieved at cold, and hide from pain, and live with little, little things. My days slip by in thin and wavering line, softened my life to such a sick men lead, and sharp their cuts across dim dowers like mine, the cold white radiance of your deed. Outraging cornered death, you held the course, against the whining night, 
the whirling day. When man gave over to the inhuman force, then it was you who led the way. Though never trumpet urged you to the fight, and roistering rush of war was not your part, your spirit was a rocket in the night. You bore a banner in your heart. Not hope of sighted glory led you then. Simply, so went your days since they began. You did the thing, not thought of it again. A very gallant gentleman. I hate relatives. They cramp my style. There are aunts. Even the best of us have them. They are always dropping in for little visits, and when you ask them to stay, they take it seriously. They never fail to tell you how badly you look, and they relate little anecdotes about friends of theirs who went into declines. Their conversation consists entirely of insides. They are never out of a critical condition. They are always posing for x-ray portraits of parts of their anatomy with names like parlor cars. They say the doctor tells them they have only one chance in a hundred. The odds aren't big enough. Then there are in-laws, the necessary evils of matrimony. The only things they don't say about you are the ones they can't pronounce. No matter what you do, they know a better way to do it. They are eternally searching your house for dust, and if they can't find any, it is a wasted day. They are always getting their feelings hurt, so they can go around with Marty Red expressions and say that you will appreciate them when they're gone. You certainly will. There are nephews. They are the lowest form of animal life. They are forever saying bright things, and there is no one force that can keep them from reciting little pieces about our flag. They have the real keystone sense of humor. They are always firing things off in your ear or pulling away the chair you are about to sit on. Whenever you are striving to impress anyone, they always appear and try out the new words they learned from the Iceman. I wish the government would draft all males under 10. And then there are husbands. The straight woman's burden. They never notice when you wear anything new. You have to point it out. They tell you about the deal they put through or the approach they made, and you are supposed to get all worked up. They are always hanging around outside your door, and they are incessantly pulling out watches and saying, Aren't you dressed yet? They were never known to be wrong. Everything is always your fault, and whenever you go out to have a good time, you always meet them. I wish to heaven somebody would alienate their affections. I hate relatives. They cramp my style. Hi, I'm Taj Ruler, and I'm reading the poem Men, a Hate Song, written in February 1917. I chose this poem because, honestly, I relate to it sometimes. I hate men. They irritate me. There are the serious thinkers. There ought to be a law against them. They see life as through shell-rimmed glasses, darkly. They are always drawing their weary hands across their wan brows. They talk about humanity as if they just invented it. They have to keep helping it along. They revel in strikes and they are eternally getting up petitions. They are doing a wonderful thing for the great unwashed. They are living right down among them. They can hardly wait for the masses to appear on the newsstand. And they read all those Russian novels. The sex bestsellers. There are the cavemen. The specimens of red-blooded manhood. They eat everything very rare. 
and they scarcely ever come out of their cold baths. And they want everyone to feel their muscles. They talk in loud voices, using short Anglo-Saxon words. They go around raising windows and they slap people on the back and tell them what they need is exercise. They are always just on the point of walking to San Francisco, or crossing the ocean in a sailboat, or going through Russia on a sled. Oh, I wish to God they would. And then there are the sensitive souls, who do interior decorating for art's sake. They always smell faintly of vanilla and put drops of sandalwood on their cigarettes. They are continually getting up costume balls so they can go, as something out of the Arabian Nights. They give studio teas where people sit around on cushions and wish they hadn't come. They look at a woman langoriously through half-closed eyes and tell her in low, passionate tones what she ought to wear. <laughs> Color is everything to them. Everything. The wrong shade of purple gives them a nervous breakdown. Then there are the ones who are simply steeped in crime. They tell you how they hadn't been to bed in four nights. They frequent those dramas where the only good lines are those of the chorus. They stagger from one cabaret to another, and they give you the exact figures of their gambling debts. They hint darkly at the terrible part that alcohol plays in their lives, and then they shake their heads and say, Heaven must decide what is going to become of them. I wish I were heaven. I hate men. They irritate me. Hi, this is Catherine Justice, and I wanted to talk a little bit about how much I love Dorothy Parker. So I first encountered Dorothy Parker in college, like a lot of women in my generation, um, who were feeling very um, jaded and Gen X-y. And Dorothy Parker really spoke to me. She spoke to me in a way of um, saying kind of all of the dark and nasty things that you wish you could say out loud in criticizing the world around you. And she said them in a way that was funny and beautiful and poignant and ruthless. And it was just, it was incredible when I first started reading her work. I really was immediately, immediately drawn to it. And I have carried with me a book of her poems that is just completely dog-eared because I have read them all. And it was really hard to choose one to, um, to feature in this bonus episode. But the one that I chose was uh, Cassandra Drops Into Verse. We'd break the city's unfeeling clutch, and back to good Mother Earth we'd go, with birds and blossoms and such and such, and love and kisses and so and so. We'd build a bungalow, white and green, with rows of hollycocks all sedate, and you'd come out on the 518 and meet me down at the garden gate. We'd leave the city completely flat and dwell with chickens and cows and bees, mid brooks and bowers and this and that, and joys and blisses and those and these. We'd greet together the golden days and hail the sun in the morning sky. We'd find an Eden, to coin a phrase, the sole inhabitants, you and I. With sweet simplicity all our aim, we'd fare together to start anew, in peace and quiet and what's its name? And soul communion or what have you? But oh, my love, if we made the flight, I see the end of our pastoral plan. Why, you'd be staying in town each night, and I'd elope with the furnace man. 
Okay, so I know I said that it was really hard to pick just one poem. And, you know, if there's anything about being an artistic director of a theater company, it's when you get to decide, you know what, um, I can pick two poems. So <laughs> I have a second one. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this one is just the first stanza of another one of Dorothy's amazing hymns of hate. This is um, Wives, a hymn of hate. And it's the first stanza of Why She Hates Wives. And I just felt like I had to read it because it describes Mrs. Welton, like to a T. And it's obviously that this was a woman that Dorothy Parker knew. I am sure of it. And so the main character in Too Bad um, was probably based on someone that Ms. Parker did not esteem very highly. And we're going to find out why. I hate wives. Too many people have them. There are the splendid housekeepers, the girls who shake a mean furnace. Give them a darning egg and a box of assorted hooks and eyes, and they wouldn't change places with Lady Mountbatten. They keep you right on the edge of your chair with stories about the stoppage in the kitchen drain and how impudent Delia was about those new aprons and how they have every reason to believe that the laundress is taking soap home to her folks. Oh, for comedy relief, they relate how they wisecracked the butcher when he told them the veal cutlets had gone up. Their books are their best friends. They love to browse in 30 pretty ways to cook cauliflower or 200 daring stitches in filet crochet. They can't see why people would want to go out at nights. Their idea of whooping things up is to sit by the sewing table and listen for Junior's croup. They are always making second-hand puddings, or seeing whether the blue vase doesn't look better on the piano than it did on the bookcase. Oh well, it keeps them out of the open air. Parker Project is brought to you by Rough Magic Performance Company, a professional theater company dedicated to supporting women artists and telling women's stories. The Parker Project was directed by George Keller. Sound design and engineering by Taj Ruler. Too Bad was adapted from the Dorothy Parker short story by Catherine Justice, and Too Good was written by Ashanti Sakina Ford and Catherine Justice. The cast of the Parker Projects includes Ashanti Sakina Ford, Elaine Hopkins, Catherine Justice, Taj Ruler, and Eric Sharp. Full credits are available in the show notes and on our website. If you enjoyed the Parker Project, please consider making a donation to Rough Magic in support of our mission of bringing women's stories center stage. Tax-deductible contributions can be made at www.roughmagicperformance.org. And while all of the Dorothy Parker works in this podcast are within the public domain, Ms. Parker bequeathed her estate to the NAACP. We encourage anyone who would like to honor her legacy and strive for racial equity in America to donate to them at www.naacp.org. And lastly, please consider writing a review or giving us a five-star rating to help us spread the word about the Rough Magic podcast. Da 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 da